Chapter 10, Part 1 of The Colored Cadet at West Point. Autobiography of Lieutenant Henry Ashen Flipper, USA, first graduate of color from the U.S. Military Academy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Colored Cadet at West Point. Autobiography of Lieutenant Henry Ashen Flipper, USA, first graduate of color from the U.S. Military Academy. Chapter 10, Part 1. Treatment. A brave and honorable and courteous man will not insult me, and none other can. Cooper. How do they treat you? How do you get along? And multitudes of analogous questions have been asked me over and over again. Many have asked them for mere curiosity's sake, and to all such my answers have been as short and abrupt as was consistent with common politeness. I have observed that it is this class of people who start rumors, sometimes harmless, but more often the cause of needless trouble and ill-feeling. I have considered such a class dangerous, and have therefore avoided them as much as it was possible. I will mention a single instance where such danger has been made manifest. A Democratic newspaper, published I know not where, in summing up the faults of the Republican Party, took occasion to advert to West Point. It asserted in bold characters that I had stolen a number of articles from two cadets, had by them been detected in the very act, had been seen by several other cadets who had been summoned for the purpose that they might testify against me, had been reported to the proper authorities, the affair had been thoroughly investigated by them, my guilt established beyond the possibility of doubt, and yet my accusers had actually been dismissed while I was retained. This is cited as an example of Republican rule, and the writer had the effrontery to ask, How long shall such things be? I did not reply to it then, nor do I intend to do so now, such assertions from such sources need no replies. I merely mention the incident to show how wholly given to party prejudices some men can be. They seem to have no thought of right and justice, but favor whatever promotes the aims and interests of their own party, a party not democratic, but hellish. Footnote. This article was cut from a newspaper, and together with the name of the paper, was posted in a conspicuous place, where other cadets, as well as myself, saw and read it. End of footnote. How different is the following article from the Philadelphia North American of July 7th, 1876. It is very little to the credit of the West Point cadets, a body of young men in whose superior discipline and thoroughly excellent deportment we feel in common with nearly all others a gratified pride, that they should be so ungenerous and unjust as they confess themselves to be in their treatment of the colored boy, who, like themselves, has been made a ward of the nation. We know nothing of this young man's personal character or habits, but we have seen no unkind criticism of them. For that reason, we condemn as beneath contempt the spirit which drives him to an isolation, in bearing which the black shows himself the superior of the white. We do not ask, nor do we care, to encourage anything more than decent courtesy. But the young gentlemen, who boast of holding only official intercourse with their comrade, 
should remember that no one of them stands before the country in any different light from him. West Point is an academy for the training of young men, presumably representative of the people, for a career sufficiently honorable to gratify any ambition. The cadets come from all parts of the country, from all ranks of the social scale. Amalgamated by the uniform course of studies and the similarity of discipline, the separating fragments at the end of the student life carry similar qualities into the life before them and step with almost remarkable social equality into the world where they must find their level. It would be expecting too much to hope that the companionship which surmounts or breaks down all the barriers of caste should tread with equal heel the prejudices of color. But it would be more manly in these boys if they would remember how easy ordinary courtesy would be to them, how much it would lighten the life of a young man whose rights are equal to their own. It is useless to ignore the inevitable. This colored boy has his place. He should have fair encouragement to hold it. Heaping neglect upon him does not overcome the principle involved in his appointment, and while we by no means approve of such appointments, we do believe in common justice. On the other hand, many have desired this information for a practical use, and that, too, whether they were prejudiced or not. That is, if friends, they were anxious to know how I fared, whether or not I was to be a success, and if a success, to use that fact in the interest of the people. And if enemies, they wanted naturally to know the same things in order to use the knowledge to the injury of the people if I proved a failure. I have not always been able to distinguish one class from the other, and have therefore been quite reticent about my life and treatment at West Point. I have, too, avoided the newspapers as much as possible. I succeeded in this so well that it was scarcely known that I was at the Academy. Much surprise was manifested when I appeared in Philadelphia at the Centennial. One gentleman said to me in the government building, You are quite an exhibition yourself. No one was expecting to see a colored cadet. But I wander from my theme. It is a remarkable fact that the new cadets, in only a very few instances, show any unwillingness to speak or fraternize. It is not till they come in contact with the rougher elements of the corps that they manifest any disposition to avoid one. It was so in my own class, and has been so in all succeeding classes. When I was a plebe, those of us who lived on the same floor of barracks visited each other, borrowed books, heard each other recite when preparing for examination, and were really on most intimate terms. But alas, in less than a month they learned to call me nigger, and ceased altogether to visit me. We did the point together, shared with each other whatever we purchased at the Salters, and knew not what prejudice was. Alas, we were soon to be informed. In camp, brought into close contact with the old cadets, these once friends discovered that they were prejudiced and learned to abhor even the presence or sight of a blank nigger. Just two years after my entrance into the academy, I met in New York a young man who was a plebe at the time I was, and who then associated with me. He recognized me, hurried to me from across the street, shook my hand heartily, and expressed great delight at seeing me. He showed me the photograph of a classmate, told me where I could find him, 
evidently ignorant of my ostracism, and wishing me all sorts of success, took his leave. After he left me, I involuntarily asked myself, would it have been thus if he had not been found on his prelim? Possibly not, but it is very, very doubtful. There are some, indeed the majority of the corps are such, who treat me on all occasions with proper politeness. They are gentlemen themselves, and treat others as it becomes gentlemen to do. They do not associate, nor do they speak other than officially, except in a few cases. They are, perhaps, as much prejudiced as the others, but prejudice does not prevent all from being gentlemen. On the other hand, there are some from the very lowest classes of our population. They are uncouth and rough in appearance, have only a rudimentary education, have little or no idea of courtesy, use the very worst language, and, in most cases, are much inferior to the average negro. What can be expected of such people? They are low, and their conduct must be in keeping with their breeding. I am not at all surprised to find it so. Indeed, in ordinary civil life, I should consider such people beneath me in the social scale, should even reckon some of them as roughs, and consequently give them a wide berth. What surprises me most is the control this class seems to have over the other. It is in this class I have observed most prejudice, and from it, or rather by it, the other becomes tainted. It seems to rule the core by fear. Indeed, I know there are many who would associate, who would treat me as a brother cadet, were they not held in constant dread of this class. The bullies, the fighting men of the corps, are in it. It rules by fear, and whoever disobeys its beck is cut. The rest of the corps follows, like so many menials, subject to command. In short, there is a fearful lack of backbone. There is, it seems at first sight, more prejudice at West Point than elsewhere. It is not really so, I think. The officers of the institution have never, so far as I can say, shown any prejudice at all. They have treated me with uniform courtesy and impartiality. The cadets, at least some of them, away from West Point, have also treated me with such gentlemanly propriety. The want of backbone predominates to such an alarming extent at West Point, they are afraid to do so there. I will mention a few cases under this subject of treatment. During my first-class camp, I was rather surprised on one occasion to have a plebe, we had been to this centennial exhibition and returned, and of course my status must have been known to him, come to my tent to borrow ink of me. I readily complied with his request, feeling proud of what I thought was the beginning of a new era in my cadet life. I felt he would surely prove himself manly enough, after thus recognizing me, to keep it up, and thus bring others under his influence, to the same cause. And I was still further assured in this when I observed he made his visits frequent and open. At length, sure of my willingness to oblige him, he came to me, and, after expressing a desire to bone up a part of the fourth-class course, and the need he felt for such boning, begged me to lend him my algebra. I, of course, readily consented, gave him my key, and sent him to my trunk in the trunk-rooms to get it. He went, he got it, and returned the key. He went into ecstasies, and made no end of thanks to me for my kindness, etc., 
all this naturally confirmed my opinion and hope of better recognition ultimately indeed i was glad of an opportunity to prove that i was not unkind or ungenerous i supposed he would keep the book till about september at which time he would get one of his own as every cadet at that time was required to procure a full course of textbooks these being necessary for reference etc in future life and so he did some time after borrowing the book he came to me and asked for india ink i handed him a stick or rather part of one and received as usual his many thanks several days after this and at night during my absence i was if i remember aright at fort clinton making a series of observations with a zenith telescope in the observatory there he came to the rear of my tent raised the wall near one corner and placed the ink on the floor just inside the wall which he left down as he found it i found the ink there when i returned i was utterly disgusted with the man the low unmanly way in which he acted was wholly without my approval if he was disposed to be friendly why be cowardly about it if he must recognize me secretly why i would rather not have such recognition acting a lie to his fellow cadets by appearing to be inimical to me and my interests while he pretended the reverse to me proved him to have a baseness of character with which i didn't care to identify myself september came at last and my algebra was returned the book was the one i had used my first year at the academy i had preserved it as i have all of my books for future use and as a sort of souvenir of my cadet life it was for that sole reason of great value to me i enjoined upon him to take care of the book and in no wise to injure it my name was on the back on the cover and my initial f in two other places on the cover when the book was returned he had cut the calfskin from the cover so as to remove my name the result was a horrible disfiguration of the book and a serious impairment of its durability the mere sight of the book angered me and i found it difficult to refrain from manifesting as much he undoubtedly did it to conceal the fact that the book was borrowed from me such unmanliness such cowardice such baseness even was most disgusting and i felt very much as if i would like to well i don't know that i would there was no reason at all for mutilating the book if he was not man enough to use it with my name on it why did he borrow it and agree not to injure it on that sole condition i lent it why did he not borrow someone else's and return mine i have been asked what is the general feeling of the corps towards you is it a kindly one or is it an unfriendly one do they purposely ill-treat you or do they avoid you merely i have found it rather difficult to answer unqualifiedly such questions and yet i believe and have always believed that the general feeling of the corps towards me was a kindly one this has been manifested in multitudes of ways on innumerable occasions and under the most various circumstances and while there are some who treat me at times in an unbecoming manner the majority of the corps have ever treated me as i would desire to be treated i mean of course by this assertion that they have treated me as i expected and really desired them to treat me so long as they were prejudiced they have held certain opinions more or less prejudicial to me and my interests but so long as they have not exercised their theories to my displeasure or discomfort 
or so long as they have let me severely alone, I had no just reason for complaint. Again, others who have no theory of their own, and almost no manliness, have been accustomed to pick quarrels, or to endeavor to do so, to satisfy I don't know what. And while they have had no real opinions of their own, they have not respected those of others. Their feeling toward me has been anything but one of justice, and yet at times even they have shown a remarkable tendency to recognize me as having certain rights entitled to their respect, if not their appreciation. As I have been practically isolated from the cadets, I have had little or no intercourse with them. I have, therefore, had but little chance to know what was really the feeling of the Corps as a unit toward myself. Judging, however, from such evidences as I have, I am forced to conclude that it is as given above, viz. a feeling of kindness, restrained kindness, if you please. Here are some of the evidences which have come under my notice. I once heard a cadet make the following unchristian remark about myself when a classmate had been accidentally hurt at light battery drill. I wish it had been the nigger, and it had killed him. I couldn't help looking at him, and I did, but that and nothing more. Sometime after this, at cavalry drill, we were side by side, and I had a rather vicious horse, one in fact which I could not manage. He gave a sudden jump unexpectedly to me. I almost lost my seat in the saddle. This cadet seized me by the arm, and in a tone of voice that was evidently kind and generous, said to me, For heaven's sake, be careful. You'll be thrown and get hurt if you don't. How different from that other wish given above. Another evidence, and an important one, may be given in these words. It is customary for the senior, or, as we say, the first class, to choose each member a horse and ride him exclusively during the term. The choice is usually made by lot, and each man chooses according to the number he draws. By remarkable good fortune, I drew number one, and had therefore the first choice of all the horses in the stables. As soon as the numbers drawn were published, Several classmates hastened to me for the purpose of effecting an exchange of choice. It will at once be seen that any such change would in no manner benefit me, for if I lost the first choice, I might also lose the chance of selecting a good horse. With the avowed intention of proving that I had at least a generous disposition, and also that I was not disposed to consider, in my reciprocal relations with the cadets, how I had been, and was even then treated by them, I consented to exchange my first choice for the fourteenth. This agreement was made with the first that asked for an exchange. Several others came, and when informed of the previous agreement, of course went their way. A day or two after this, a number of cadets were discussing the choice of horses, etc., and reverted to the exchange which I had made. One of them suggested that if an exchange of a choice higher than fourteen were suggested to me, I might accept it. What an idea he must have had of my character to suppose me base enough to disregard an agreement I had already made. However, all in the crowd were not as base as he was, and one of them was man enough to say, Oh no, that would be imposing upon Mr. Flipper's good nature. He went on to show how ungentlemanly and unbecoming in a cadet and gentleman such an act would be. The idea was abandoned, or at least was never broached to me, and if it had been, 
I would never have entertained it. Such an act on the part of the cadet could have arisen only from a high sense of manly honor or from a feeling of kindness. There are multitudes of little acts of kindness similar to these, and even different ones. I need not, indeed as I do not remember them all, I cannot, mention them all. They all show, however, that the cadets are not avowedly inclined to ill-treat me, but rather to assist me to make my life under the circumstances as pleasant as can be. And there may be outside influences, such as relatives or friends, which bias their own better judgments and keep them from fully and openly recognizing me. For, however hard either way may be, it is far easier to do as friends wish than as conscience may dictate when conscience and friends differ. Under such conditions it would manifestly be unjust for me to expect recognition of them, even though they themselves were disposed to make it. I am sure this is at least a Christian view of the case, and with such view I have ever kept aloof from the cadets. I have not obtruded myself upon them, nor in any way attempted to force recognition from them. This has proved itself to be by far the better way and I don't think it could well be otherwise. The one principle which has controlled my conduct while a cadet, and which is apparent throughout my narrative, is briefly this. To find, if possible, for every insult or other offense, a reason or motive which is consistent with the character of a gentleman. Whenever I have been insulted, or anything has been done or said to me which might have that construction, I have endeavored to find some excuse some reason for it, which was not founded on prejudice or on baseness of character, or any other ungentlemanly attribute, or, in other words, I wanted to prove that it was not done because of my color. If I could find such a reason, and I have found them, I have been disposed not only to overlook the offense, but to forgive and forget it. Thus, there are many cadets who would associate, etc., were they not restrained by the force of opinion, of relatives and friends. This cringing dependence, this vassalage, this mesmerism we may call it, we all know exists. Why, many a cadet has openly confessed to me that he did not recognize us because he was afraid of being cut. Again, I find some too high-toned, too punctilious, to recognize me. I attribute this not to the loftiness of their highnesses, nor to prejudice, but to the depth of their ignorance, and of course I forgive and forget. Others again are so reckless, so don't care disposed, that they treat me as fancy dictates, now friendly, now vacillating, and now inimical. With these I simply do as the Romans do. If they are friendly, so am I. If they scorn me, I do not obtrude myself upon them. If they are indifferent, I am indifferent too. There is a rather remarkable case under this subject which has caused me no little surprise and disappointment. I refer to those cadets appointed by colored members of Congress. It was quite natural to expect of them better treatment than of others, and yet if in anything at all they differed from the former, they were the more reserved and discourteous. They most severely let me alone. They never associated, nor did they speak, except officially, and then they always spoke in a haughty and insolent manner that was to me most exasperating. And in one case in particular was this so. 
one of those so appointed was the son of the colored congressman who sent him there and from him at least good treatment was reasonably expected there have been only two such appointments to my knowledge and it is a singular fact that they were both overbearing conceited and by no means popular with their comrades the status of one was but little better than my own and only in that his comrades would speak and associate he was not cut but avoided as much as possible without making the offense too patent there was a cadet in the corps with myself who invariably dropped his head whenever our eyes met his complexion was anything but white his features were rough and homely and his person almost entirely without symmetry or beauty from this singular circumstance and his physique i draw the conclusion that he was more african than anglo-saxon indeed i once heard as much insinuated by a fellow cadet to whom his reply was it's an honor to be black near the close of this chapter i have occasion to speak of fear there i mean by fear a sort of shrinking demeanor or disposition to accept insults and other petty persecutions as just dues or to leave them unpunished from actual cowardice to which fear some have been pleased to attribute my generally good treatment this latter fact has been by many to my personal knowledge attributed to fear in another quarter viz in the cadets themselves it has many times been said to me by persons at west point and elsewhere i don't suppose many of those fellows would care to encounter you this idea was doubtless founded upon my physical proportions i am six feet one and three-quarter inches high and weigh one hundred and seventy-five pounds in behalf of the corps of cadets i would disclaim any such notions of fear first because the conception of the idea is not logical i was not the tallest nor yet the largest man in the corps nor even did i give any evidence of a disposition to fight or bully others second because i did not come to west point purposely to go through on my muscle i am not a fighting character as the cadets those who know me can well testify third because it is ungenerous to attribute what can result from man's better nature only to such base causes as fear or cowardice this seems to be about the only way in which many have endeavored to explain the difference between my life at west point and that of other colored cadets they seem to think that my physique inspired a sort of fear in the cadets and forced them at least to let me alone while the former ones smaller in size did therefore create no such fear until by persistent retaliation it was shown they were able to defend themselves now this i think is the most shallow of all reasoning and entirely unworthy our further notice fourth i should be grieved to suppose any one feared me it is not my desire to go through life feared by any one i can derive no pleasure from anything which is accorded me through motives of fear the grant must be spontaneous and voluntary to give me the most pleasure i want nothing not even recognition unless it be freely given hence have i not forced myself upon my comrades but the sensible flipper accepted the situation and proudly refused to intrude himself on the white boys atlanta georgia herald fifth because it is incompatible with the dignity of a cadet and a gentleman for one to fear another sixth because it is positively absurd to suppose that one man of three hundred more or less 
would be feared by the rest individually and collectively, and no rational being would, for an instant, entertain any such idea. There is, however, a single case which may imply fear on the part of the cadet most concerned. A number of plebes, among them a colored one, were standing on the stoop of barracks. There were also several cadets standing in the doorway, and a sentinel was posted in the hall. This latter individual went up to one of the cadets and said to him, Make that nigger out there get his hands around, referring to this plebe mentioned above. I happened to come downstairs just at that time, and as soon as he uttered those words he turned and saw me. He hung his head, and in a cowardly manner sneaked off, while the cadets in the door also dispersed with lowered heads. Was it fear? Verily I know not. Possibly it was shame. Again I recall a rather peculiar circumstance which will perhaps sustain this notion of fear on the part of the cadets. I have on every occasion, when I had command over my fellow cadets in any degree, noticed that they were generally more orderly and more obedient than when this authority was exercised by another. Thus, whenever I commanded the guard, there were very few reports for offenses committed by members of the guard. They have ever been obedient and military. In camp, when I was first in command of the guard, I had a most orderly guard and a very pleasant tour, and that too, observe, while some of the members of it were plebes and on for the first time. On all such occasions, it is an immemorial custom for the yearlings to interfere with and haze the plebe sentinels. Not a sentinel was disturbed, not a thing went amiss. And why? Manifestly because it was thought, and rightly too, that I would not connive at such interference, and because they feared to attempt it, lest they be watched and reported. Later, however, even this semblance of fear disappeared, and they acted under me precisely as they do under others, because they are convinced that I will not stoop to spy or retaliate. The boys were rather afraid that when he should come to hold a position as officer of the guard that he would swagger over them, but he showed good sense and taste, merely assuming the rank formally and leaving his junior to carry out the duty. New York Herald and just here it is worthy of notice that the press, in commenting upon my chances of graduating, has never, so far as I know, entertained any doubts of my ability to do so. It has, on the contrary, expressed the belief that the probability of my graduating depended upon the officers of the academy, and upon any others who, by influence or otherwise, were connected with the academy. Some have even hinted at politics as a possible ground upon which they might drop me. All such opinions have been created and nurtured by the hostile portion of the press, and I regret to say by that part also which ought to have been more friendly, if not more discreet. No branch of the government is freer from the influences and whims of politicians than the National Military Academy. Scarcely any paper has considered how the chances of any cadet depended upon himself alone. The authorities of the Academy are, or have been, officers of the Army. They are, with one or two exceptions, graduates, and therefore, presumably, officers and gentlemen. To transform young men into a like ilk as themselves is their duty. The country entrusts them with this great responsibility. To prove faithless to such a charge would be to risk position, and even those dearer attributes of the soldier, honor and reputation. 
they would not dare ill-treat a colored cadet or a white one of course the prejudice of race is not yet overcome entirely and possibly they may be led into some indiscretion on account of it but i do not think it would be different at any other college in the country it is natural end of chapter ten part one recording by james k white chula vista